0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of You Play A What. For those of you who have been following the podcast since its launch, I would like to take this time to say a big thank you to all of you and I do appreciate your support. If you're new to the podcast, welcome and you have certainly picked the right episode to be your first. On this episode, I speak to multi-track legend and killer musician Alexander Un. Alex has managed to carve out a successful career as a musician, but his life as a performer almost came to a screeching halt a few years ago. And now, please enjoy this episode of You Play A What? with Alex. My guest today is a rather well-traveled man. Not only did he complete his studies in the Royal College of Music in London, he is also an alumnus of music programs such as the Pacific Music Festival and the Lucerne Festival Academy. On top of these, he is currently playing in the Sun Symphony Orchestra in Hanoi, Vietnam, which is yet another SSO in the world of orchestra. Hi Alex, how are you doing today? Hello, Vincent. Thank you very much for the nice introduction. I'm doing all right. (laughs) Good, good. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, I do appreciate you taking your time out to do this. I'm really looking forward to this interview because I believe this is the first time that we're actually speaking to each other alone like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'm really hoping to discover some new information about you. (laughs) Sure, sure. Likewise. Likewise. So, uh, before we get too far away with our conversation, let's just introduce what you play. So, I play the French horn, brass instrument, part of the brass family. Yeah, and of course, Alex holds the principal position in the Sun Symphony Orchestra in Vietnam. I didn't want to say that initially because I'm afraid to give what you play away. Uh, So, uh, legend has it that the French horn is the hardest brass instrument to operate. Is that
1: true? Well, if you ask me, I would I would have to agree. So I got more excuse if, if I play a wrong note
0: by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, is it because you're operating your valves with your left hand?
1: Well, I don't think the <laughs> left hand thing... <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if the valves being on the left side has anything to do, but I think it's it's got to do with, like, you know, the harmonic series... How like most brass instruments playing in the lower part of the harmonic series, but horns are the poor souls playing in the upper part, which means all the notes are closer together and it's easy to misfire. It's like your bullseye target is one tiny pin, like one tiny
0: dot. (laughs) Yeah, of course, uh, that, that was the joke when I said that the difficult part about (laughs) the French one is using that left hand. Yeah. No, but it's good that you went into this explanation because it's exact same explanation I would say about the euphonium. When when someone asks me what I play, I'll be Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's a euphonium. It's, you know, it's not quite the same as like the tuba. It's like this and that. And then, At some point, you just give up, right? So, I I don't know. Maybe next time when you're explaining this, you just be like, oh yeah, because we had to use like, you know, our non-dominant hand. So, (laughs) in in case you are left-hander, you'll be like absolutely brilliant on a horn and it'll be so much easier for you. (laughs) Great. And uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the couple of years that you spent in Vietnam. So, I'm interested to know uh, how is living in Vietnam. So, uh, like you, we spent a couple of years overseas away from Singapore but I don't regard the UK as somewhere that is very different but it's not so different in the sense that we still understand the native people fairly easily we still speak the language and all that kind of stuff Uh, maybe I mean I struggle with the Irish accent a little bit but that's about (laughs) it really you know I really like the Irish accent actually it's like their kind of sing-songy kind of style right yeah but yeah it doesn't make that any easier for me to understand it's gotten better but yeah (laughs) <laughs> Got to listen hard. Yeah, so how was it for you uh, when you first moved to Vietnam? Well, actually, um, so the first time I went to Vietnam was
1: when I was called over to guest play with them prior to signing the contract. So that was the first time I was I was in Vietnam and I had no idea what to expect if I was being honest. Definitely, there was a cultural shock when I first moved there, being the language, the food, everything, you know, like people say, do you eat pho every day? I'm like, uh... Well, at the beginning, I didn't know what to answer. But after one year, um, now I know like there's more than hundred types. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, I think the culture was very exciting for me to live in because I I rode a motorbike or like a <laughs> moped illegally, mm. no license. Oh, maybe, maybe better oh, not wow. to. Maybe better not to put this part on.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, right, in in Vietnam, what is legal and what is not? Right. That so, is the question, right? Yeah. That is, Yeah. Exactly. That is the question.
1: Yeah, but I enjoyed um, the, the independence of like being able to move around on, uh, you know, the motorbike and it's like everywhere seems very near. Um, mm. Food was amazing and just general, the, the people there are so nice, the culture is so laid back and it's very easy to have a work-life balance. And I mean, as a fellow Singaporean yourself, you may understand my predicament of finding a difficult work-life balance in Singapore and then in the UK as well. It's not so much... It's not so different from Singapore, whereby it's still quite a difficult, competitive society by nature.
0: Mm, definitely. Particularly in London, I would say. It's yeah. uh, hectic over there. Absolutely yeah. mad. Yeah. Cool. Apart from this sort of like, oh, you know, obviously, most Singaporeans don't really have a very good grasp of the Vietnamese culture. Mm-hmm. So we have this uh, perhaps misconception of like, oh, what is that one food that... Vietnamese eat every day. So apart from that, are there any other kind of misconceptions that you have faced from perhaps your friends in Singapore about Vietnam?
1: Well, it was actually mostly the food. And actually, people were also shocked when I told them about the weather in Hanoi because people mostly think that Hanoi or like Vietnam's weather in, in general is similar to Thailand, which is like summer all the way mm. but when you because vietnam is relatively a long country so like when you go further up north you actually have four seasons mm, okay. so people didn't know that um, neither did i <laughs> to be honest but when i first experienced my hanoi winter uh yeah it was a bit of a shock because when you are it's not that cold it's more like it gets down to 12 10 degrees at night at, a, at mm. the coldest point but you know that sounds very harmless right But it's harmless until (laughs) you're on a motorbike going 40, 50 km per hour. Not so fast, Mm. but there's wind chill and there's humidity and there's rain. People are wearing Eskimo jackets when you're riding a motorbike in the winter, you know? The Eskimo jackets that Mm. you will wear in a minus 5 degree kind of place.
0: Ah, I see. So those kind of thick winter jacket when they're riding the bikes, huh? Exactly. (laughs) I see. Cool. I'm interested in this. This is uh, just for me. Vietnamese coffee, is it really good? Oh man, Is it different? (laughs) It's basically just really strong. It's so
1: strong. It's like, it's enough to give me a spike for like two hours. Mm. As opposed to like a a normal latte, which is like half an hour spike and then down. (laughs) Ah, I see. But yeah, I I can't take black Vietnamese coffee. It's too strong for me.
0: Mm, Okay, does it like hurt your stomach or do you get the shakes?
1: Yeah, definitely the shakes and the taste is just too strong, too bitter for me. There are people that absolutely love it. But um, mm-hmm. for me personally, I prefer it with a little bit of milk
0: and condensed milk. Nice. Baxiu, that's what they call it. Baxiu, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to Vietnam in the longest time. The last time I went to Vietnam, I went to Ho Chi Minh City. And that was like in my primary school days. Oh my god. Yeah, it was one of those primary school enrichment trips. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I was selected for that, luckily. And I went to some of the, the Vietnam War tunnels in uh, Ho Chi Minh mm-hmm. uh, when, when I could still fit into the tunnel. I doubt I can uh, fit into <laughs> the, the tunnels now. But yeah, there's so little that I... um, I mean, I remember my times with my friends, but there's so little that I remember of the country itself. Probably because I was a little bit too young. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I would love to to go back there and see the country. Hanoi is the north of Vietnam. Yes,
1: it's the north and it's also the capital. And maybe if you went together with me, you'll get a free local-ish tour guide. (laughs) Wow,
0: I mean, (laughs) I'm definitely going to take you out on that for sure. Yeah, but... Only when it's safe to travel again, which let's hope is not too far away into the future.
1: Yeah, And now Vietnam's economy has totally opened, like no trace of COVID as they claim. Mm. There are concerts going on, like full, full house
0: audience, you know. Wow. Okay. Nice. I I bet like people are so a little bit tired, right, of staying in. So whatever sort of activities they can embark on. Mm, just not not my out.
1: orchestra though, sadly. I mean, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm now in Singapore.
0: But it's um, like the Vietnam National Symphony and other Vietnamese gigs. Mm. So now uh, let's talk about uh, what seems to be your favorite pastime over the last few months. <laughs> uh, okay, which is uh, a lot of video making, a mm. lot of uh, wonderful playing, a lot of wonderful arrangements Aww. that is uh, super clever and sounds absolutely beautiful. I have to bring this up because you just released, uh, at this point of recording, you've just released a video yesterday (laughs) regarding uh, a a very particular plan in the east part of Singapore. (laughs) Yeah, and I absolutely love it, right? I mean, adding uh, mixing music and sort of satire together is absolutely brilliant it's a way uh, for us to kind of express ourselves, isn't it?
1: Yeah, hopefully it's more of a musical joke for fellow musicians that can appreciate it more. I mean, not to say non-musicians can't appreciate it, but I think musicians might
0: get the wit a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember I I was reading uh, some of the comments of the video mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone said that your chord progression had more structure than <laughs> the speech itself, which I think, yeah, you know, I agree, actually. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, it's, thank oh, you. Yeah, it's probably like better thought out than the speech itself. Oh, God. But but of course, you know, um, I think also recently there's a, a video, an old video of yours that surfaced and that was with like another candidate uh, that with the thumbs up and oh, the boom. Oh no,
1: yeah, that one was
0: like <laughs> a spur of the moment.
1: And that was, yeah, that was five years ago. Huh?
0: La- yeah. Last GE. Yeah. E- yeah, exactly. That one was obviously less quality. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you're still doing your thing. So uh, I, it's also a shorter kind of uh, clip, anyway, right? As compared to to this one.
1: Yeah, and I only played a few chords at some pivotal moments, whereas this this certain plan, I, I went all out and I dictated each each word.
0: Oh my god, it took so yeah. it took me so long. I wish it was faster, but no. <laughs> I have a feeling when you said that it took you a long time versus the time that it would take me. My <laughs> long time and your long time probably first, by, I'll say. Never ever to being done. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? no, 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 no. So, yeah, but for, for sure. I, and I'm, I'm interested to know that as well, your kind of uh, thought process behind all these videos. Okay. So apart from from this two video, there's a bunch of slightly more regular stuff. Not like mm. anything is uh, regular, the things <laughs> that you posted, but uh, some really, really cool stuff, things that I particularly enjoyed. Uh, the 12-part Rick and Morty theme. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, that was brilliant. And the Power Ranger theme, Uh, that you did with uh, the cello as well. I'm glad you like that one. What what I really enjoyed about the video is uh, everything is choreographed. There is a very uniform uh, look to the video Mm -hmm. and the the movements are all happening absolutely on time, which I believe is not easy at all. Yeah. It's a lot of work positioning the cameras and, you know, making sure that, that not Especially in the Rick and Morty, yeah? That not of all 12 parts happening at the same time at the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, that, that Rick and Morty, because for the... I'm not like a video editor, so I just use the Acapella app to make the video part. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, because Acapella only allows up to like 9 frames per, per video, so I had to do two 6-frame videos, and then Jasper Tan, who is like a whiz at video editing, he... He helped me combine these two six-frame videos into one big twelve-frame video. <laughs>
0: nice. Hey, that's what friends are for, right? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Jasper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can't count on them, then you know what good are they? Oh just no! Kidding. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are also other videos that are on your Facebook page that is really, really cool. I'm just I just named the two that uh, is my most favorite. Yeah, I'm glad you like the Power Ranger
1: one because the Power Ranger one got less attention than. I personally expected because I really love that Power Ranger theme, but it didn't go as viral, as viewed as some others that I was really surprised to mm. go. Uh,
0: well, you know. it, it's, a, it's a quiet taste, I must say, you know, hmm. you you've got to find the right people. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, your ability to do arrangements is not new to a lot of the musicians and the scene in Singapore. And I've had this opportunity to commission you to do some Christmas carols for hybrid ensemble as well. Oh, and yeah. this was yeah, this was 2018, which then you appeared at the performance as well, which was unplanned, right?
1: Yeah, wait, where where was the performance? Oh my goodness! Uh,
0: it was the um, it was at Gardens by the Bay. What what is it called? Uh... The that Christmas event that happens every year.
1: Yeah, now you gotta remind me what is the what was the instrumentation? I remember this this
0: commission, but it's like. Yeah so it's a a hybrid between western and chinese instruments. Yeah, yeah there, there was like uh like trumpet I oboe, remember there was erhu, erhu, guzheng was gu uh, run. Yes yes. So I think there was like seven parts together. Yeah. Sounded absolutely amazing. Sounded fuller than <laughs> uh what I would imagine which is great. Thank you. Yeah. The, the, thanks for reminding me about that
1: cuz that one it slipped my mind for a while but yeah I did enjoy it cuz that was it was like one of the first time... It wasn't the first time because I think I did something for uh, Ding Yi once. Mm. But it was a smaller group. It was only flute clarinet, Gu Zheng and Run. But this one was like a bigger ensemble. So that one was exciting in that
0: aspect. It's also interesting because uh, you did a few carols and then there were, there were also other people doing the arrangements as well. Ah, so yeah, you that's... could yeah really kind of uh, compare the different styles. And... Uh, not too many complaints on your Chinese instrumental writing, uh, oh. <laughs> which is a big win for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that, uh, Well, I haven't given my comments on the euphonium part, so... Oh, no. Uh, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding. Yeah. High enough, right? right. Abs- too, <laughs> many, too many long notes, right? I always make <laughs> this joke
1: with Chunming. Euphonium players don't know how to play semi-brief. They only know... For them
0: to play semi-brief is 16 semi-quavers tied together. <laughs> or, or, you know, sometimes we just have problem counting to four. It's <laughs> as simple as that, you know? It's like one, two, and then, okay, what's next? <laughs> That's the Is deal. it now? Musicians
1: can't count because we only know how to count up to four maximum if we're lucky. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, maybe uh, for, for myself, a little bit less lucky than the usual. <laughs> yeah, maybe I lose half the amount of numbers. Huh? That's why euphonium yeah.
1: pieces, the denomination is always very small. It's always semi quavers and demis.
0: Correct. yeah Uh, yeah just to to, to make up for our inadequacies right (laughs) on 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 on, on the other things great i want to ask you as well like when do you start doing arrangements and do you actually imagine sounds when you're doing it because from the the end product it seems like you have a very nice understanding of kind of the the voicing of the instruments
1: to answer the first part um I think I started arranging in secondary school, but I think the quality was really bad. <laughs> so, oh, no, maybe not arranging. I think in secondary school, I only started like light composition. Like I wrote like clarinet duets for my class, uh, for my bandmates. Like I tried my hand at horn trios for my batchmates. Things like that. Okay. So I think basic composition. I don't think arrangement yet. Maybe arrangement started in... Maybe NAFA diploma years, which is like almost more than 10 years ago, 2009, 2010. Yeah. So yeah, maybe since then, but oh goodness. I think if anyone listened to the works, then they would not hire me for
0: anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I'm still at a secondary school level. At, at no, <laughs> if you look at if you look at my arrangements, you'll be like,
1: mm. no, I think arrangements is like there's there's a there's a key to it, there's a hack to it, you know. Most people just arrange based on what they see, which kind of leads mm. me into the 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 second part of the question which you asked, which is, do I hear? Like, do I imagine it orally in my head before I write it? The answer is yes. And if, if I'm being honest, I think that's the only way to go. Most people who fear arranging, they are usually intimidated by the visual aspect, like looking at how many instruments they have to write for. And like, who's, who do I give this note to? Who do I give that note to? Because they're looking at it visually. They're not imagining what they want to hear first that's what i think because i i came from there as well and when you arrange visually you have one of you you can you can have one of two problems either you over arrange and you end up like doubling too much because you're the fear of having rests you mm-hmm. know like the fear of having blank spaces or you end up having very disorganized writing because you're 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 going based on what looks okay but not what may sound okay. Yeah. So for me, um, oral imagination, pre- pre-arranging is very important. So, I mean, if, if we could talk about like the short videos that I've been posting, those are a slightly different thing because for me, those, those videos, the lengths are like one minute, around one minute, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, but yeah. it's meant for social media. It's not meant for a live performance. So I, I throw in everything. It's like almost every bar has something exciting. And that's not what I usually do for my real arrangements, as you might know from playing my other serious works. Mm. It's like that one has a bit more pacing, a bit more space. People rest for 8 bars, 12 bars. But these kind of social media videos that I'm posting, that one's just intense one minute wham, bam, done. Kind of thing. I see. So I always imagine the soundscape first. Given the instruments that I have, like if it's eight horns, I only have one instrument because uh, you know what I mean, like eight horns, but they all sound the same. So Mm -hmm. I have to imagine the different soundscapes within the horn before I create an arrangement. I'm like, what what sounds can I use? If not, the whole thing is just going to be blue color. I have to find the green, the purple, the orange, the yellow within the horn, whether it's by Mm. extended technique or not. Um, if you give me a cello, that changes everything because it, it doubles everything by two, makes my job easier. I can find other colors that are not in the horn easily, you know? Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, hope hope that kind of gives a, gives a little insight to like my thought process.
0: Yeah, that's actually uh, pretty clear, I must say. A really interesting point that, that you put out that uh, this kind of uh, one-minute video clips that we see on your Facebook recently is really designed for this specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Kind of saturated writing, right? Where it's yeah. kind of like things happening all the time versus uh, your other works that is spread across a longer period of time. Yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've never really thought about that. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's kind of like
1: um to cater to the shorter attention span of people scrolling through social media. I'm also one of them. And I know mm. I if I don't, like what I'm hearing within the first 10, 15 seconds, I, I go on to the next thing. Yeah. So the point of my arrangements for social media is just attention-grabbing. It's literally attention-seeking, attention-grabbing, first five seconds. And hopefully that's good enough to hook the listener to listen to the rest of those short minutes. And before they mm. know it, it's over. So they've viewed the entire video, the entire arrangement. That's why I don't do the complete song. If you notice, most mm-hmm. of my arrangements are like
0: segments of a song. Yeah, one verse, one chorus, whatever. Well, nothing uh, more to add from me. Really, really well put, well <laughs> designed, good purpose. Okay, so uh, if you are interested to find out more about Alex's work, you can access all the videos on his Facebook page. You just go facebook.com/slash xxnder. That is his uh, own personal Facebook page. So I'm sure if you send him a friend request, he'll be relatively friendly. If it's not, then uh, I, I don't know, okay? Don't don't hold me to that, don't hold me to That'll that. I'll be friendly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can also find him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Instagram handle is A-L-E-X-X-N-D-E-R. So basically the same as his um, Facebook page with an additional Alex in front. Correct. Am I right to say that? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. Uh, it took me a while to figure it out. But... Didn't think anyone noticed at all. <laughs> <laughs> So now let's go into this uh, main bulk of the interview. So let's start with this. We've already known uh, what you play. So let's talk about when we first met. So this is quite clear, right? So I think the first time we met was uh, at NAFA at 2009, where you first came into the school, where I was already a student there. Do you have the same recollection?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think you were were in your first year when I came in at the Access course, you know? Yes, the back half. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was the beginning of 2009 when you were already halfway...
0: Through my first year, right? Correct, Yeah. yeah. But
1: I don't think we had much interaction then, right? It was only when I properly started my first diploma year.
0: Yeah, and I would say even when you started your diploma, our interaction was still kind of really few and far between. Yeah, yeah. Probably like the last couple of years where we would, for example, bump into each other after a concert, and then we'll be chatting about, you know, what we've been up to over beer. recently. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a couple or, or one. Yeah, or six, uh, who cares, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, exactly. Of course, as with any new brass players, whenever someone new comes into NAFA, we are all very excited. And I would say that at that point of time, uh, size-wise, we had a pretty decent brass section. Hmm. all across our years
1: actually no my year was a bit under under the average because my year for brass we only had three horns no other instruments oh really did you know that yeah just me linda and edwin edwin yes yes, of course of course it was only three of us and actually we had one trumpet but he was a piano major if you remember tao sheng
0: Yes, yes, Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, so actually, there, there was only three horns, so I think it stopped at
0: our year. <laughs> like, it became really small. Uh, oh, so, yeah. So that was the start of the decline, huh? so now we can re- uh, retrace it back now. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. scared everyone away. No, oh, maybe God. it's my badge that scared everyone away.
1: <laughs> Who's in your badge? Uh? Your badge hat.
0: My badge, Hong, Uh-huh. And- Chris. Chris, Edmund. Hui you Min, yes. Edmund was also... Eh, Edmund, Edmund was my year or... Yeah, yeah, my year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Han Yong. Yes, exactly. Han Yong.
1: Oh, yeah. good memories, man. Wei Chiang? Wei, Wei Chang, well. yeah. Another euphonium player. Yeah. Yes.
0: There you go. Quite quite a big uh, brass cohort, I would say. Yeah. And of course, for you as well, like me, right, when you first entered NAFA, you were 17. Mm-hmm. So, how was it for you? Because for me, most of my batchmates were either a little bit or a lot older than me. So, if you're talking about like Wins and Brass, the only other person that entered NAFA straight away after secondary school was Joseph Chong, saxophone. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, was it the, kind of the same for you in your batch? Well, uh, Linda was a year older than I am,
1: but she was also straight from secondary school. Edwin, mm. I think he went NS very early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he went after NS. And I think the woodwinds, I can't really remember, but I know Ray Ching. was
0: also... Ray is my age, so same situation. Nice. So did you feel that it was difficult for you to kind of hang out with people or was it kind of no difference?
1: Well, no, I mean, everyone was generally nice. So like, it, it wasn't very hard to like get along and like have just general conversations, you know, and it, for me, it was quite scary in the beginning when, you know, when you enter a music school after coming up from normal secondary school life where arts and music was not the, pr- the primary focus. Mm-hmm. So like coming from secondary school where my studies weren't so good and then going straight into a music school where I, that was the one thing that I thought I could do And it was just very daunting at first. Like, what if the thing that I thought I was supposedly good at turned out to be not so good? (laughs) You know, that was my worry in the beginning.
0: Mm. And I think I can say this for a lot of people who entered NAFA as well. If you came from secondary school, you are likely one of uh, the better players in your secondary school band. And when you enter NAFA, all of a sudden, you are normal once again. So, sometimes that can cause a little bit of problem to perhaps your confidence. Then you think that, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I thought I was doing okay. Not that I'm bad, but I'm just not as good as I think I am.
1: I know what you mean. You you hit the nail on the
0: head. Yeah, I, I share the same sentiments. Cool, and that leads us very nicely uh, into the next topic, which is your musical journey and career developments. I think there's a lot to uh, kind of unpack there. You've done many things in your career so far, uh, so would you just share with us how it started from the beginning, and how it grew? Um,
1: well, my parents did send me to Yamaha when I was like five, six, seven, eight years old. I don't, I don't remember the exact year, but. Yeah, I started off with Yamaha Electone, so that was my first contact. Mm. So basic um solfege, basic Electone piano playing. I did not do any ABRSM until now. Fun fact: I'm still ABRSM grade zero, all aspects. <laughs> piano
0: horn theory. It's okay. You've got a Royal School degree. You're fine. <laughs> Well, tell that to... Okay, I shouldn't say Bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, so th- then there was actually like a lull in my music life because I... Another fun fact. <laughs> um, in primary school, I was actually sports-oriented. Like, my primary CCA was swimming. Hmm. Yeah. and for those who know a little bit more about me they'll know it's a chip of the old block kind of thing mm. and yeah suppose supposed to follow footsteps off <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no uh, but it didn't happen but my second CCA in primary school was Angklong
0: Angklong yeah okay <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> perfect yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was all the way so that, nothing nothing very exciting for my music life in, in primary school so before secondary school, like around end of primary five, before primary six, my dad took me to my first Singapore symphony concert and it was Vojak New World Symphony, <laughs> which mm. is still his favorite symphony. So that's why he took me and I was blown away because I did not know what I was hearing. I did not understand anything. I just knew that the horn looked pretty from where I could sit, from what I could see, from where I was sitting. Yeah. And I I didn't know. I didn't know what the horn was. So my dad (laughs) had to explain to me. And I mean, I don't really remember his explanation, but I fell in love with the instrument from what I found out. I mean, back then there wasn't YouTube, but there was like websites of just like orchestras with like clips of the, like video clips or like sound clips of how the instrument sounded like. And I was so like engrossed with it, you know? So I literally asked like, are there such things as private private lessons for the French horn? Because who hears about that? You know, when you're in primary five, you think like, oh, people learn the piano, learn the violin. Yeah, so who mm. learns the French horn? Private exactly. lessons. Exactly, so, yeah. So I asked my dad and he got in contact with Singapore Symphony and they put me with Van Hock. Mm-hmm. So Van Hock was my first proper horn teacher when I was primary five. Yeah, shout out to Van Hock. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and who has returned back to Singapore Yeah, last year?
1: Ah, I forget. 2018? Yeah, yeah, or recently, right? I mean, he's in and out of Singapore, but I think the recent one is quite permanent. Then following that was secondary school, band, band life. I was from ACSI, so I was under Lee TNT, who really, really helped drive my passion for music. Like, he was one of the main windows that showed me what music could do to the soul, for the soul. So I will never forget that. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And it was almost at that point, like I knew I wanted to study music or at least like pursue music full-time. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not related, but like I said earlier, my studies in secondary school were not doing well. It kind of like gravitated towards music, not because I had no choice, but it's just where my passion and what I enjoyed doing. It's just the only thing that I actually wanted to do. I didn't want to study
0: yeah, I understand, completely understand you know, what you what you meant. Yeah.
1: So that's where, like when it comes to O-Levels and I didn't make it into a JC, I was like, I think this is the calling. I think this is the time. So I had to do some research. I met Linda prior to that. So she was like sharing with me information about this school called NAFA. And prior to that, obviously, I've never heard of NAFA. So, and that was like SEC3, SEC4. So Linda was the one that actually in- introduced me to NAFA, Nice. Yeah. And yeah, so we ended up enrolling together. Okay, cool. So like NAFA, Diploma, three years. That one was a very exciting three years. I was under the tutelage of Jamie Hirsch, Associate Principal, Singapore Symphony. And to date, he's still one of my greatest mentors. I still go to him for advice and everything. Mm. Yeah. And then after that, two years NS, I was lucky to get into S C F band. So I could still keep in contact with the instrument, despite having to walk and play, <laughs> not so good for the embouchure, But that's that's the past. <laughs> After ORD, I went back to Nafa, but I enrolled in the bachelor's course, the one that's like linked with RCM, but still based in Singapore. During those two years, um, I did audition for the RCM masters masters program while I was in London for the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so during the bachelor's period in Singapore, it was quite exciting. I did I did a lot of my first serious freelance work with SSO. Prior to that I had one or two, but I think twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen was more serious ones.
0: Mm, the breakout year for you, in a more way? More or
1: less. Because and during those years were also the years I started trying to audition for for festivals. hmm So twenty fifteen, I went to Japan for Kirishima Music Festival. So it's like a smaller festival where they they sent like a few Singaporeans. So that one was also me and Linda. And then mm. prior to that, I already heard of PMF, but I didn't know so much about it. So after going to Japan once, and then some of the Japanese members told me about PMF, and then they suggested I try out for it the following year. So that was 2016. And 2016, I just graduated from the NAFA bachelor's program. So I thought I, I have to do something. So I auditioned for PMF and Lucerne in that year, but I didn't get Lucerne in 2016. Okay. Yeah. So I got into PMF lucky and yeah, that one was really a pivotal experience for me because that was like my first really, really high level overseas meeting other musicians and, just a hard, hard reality check on, like, standard, you know? Mm, I understand. Really woke me up how much more I have to go, and it highlighted highlighted to me what were my strengths as much as what were my weaknesses comparing with other, other like, really, really strong young musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one was very eye- and ear-opening. Yeah. Yeah, then after that, I moved to London. So I started my first year of Master's, under tutelage of quite a few professors because I don't know if it's the same for you, but we had like... For master students we in London, we have quite a few professors and then we split it um according to like how many hours you want with who.
0: Yeah, at Northern, now it's like that. You get to do that. But when I was there, it wasn't. It was just one teacher or the other. Yeah, but I understand what you're trying to say.
1: Yeah, there's pros and cons to that. Because sometimes it's like,
0: it can be very
1: overload of information from different people. But also, if you're, like, a more secure master student, you can branch out and really see different perspectives. Yeah, definitely. So, in between my first and second year, then I tried again for Lucian because I really, really wanted it th- this time. Because, as you might or might not know, I have, like, a keen interest towards contemporary music. And that one started way before that already. So... Lucerne seemed like the place to to go to be, you know yeah, a one month of like modern contemporary music. It just sounded like heaven for a nerd like me,
0: yeah, and high quality as well, isn't it? Some of the brightest young composers and players, you know, like I was
1: so so, so mind blown because like just coming from Singapore and then like going to London, yes, not everyone does new music there, but there was already like one step more but. Going to Lusen was like, everyone, it's another like... It's a moment where we're talking about going from secondary school to NAFA. You're normal again. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. But you get to geek out with all, all these other members of the orchestra, isn't it? Because now people understand what you're trying to say all of a sudden. And it's just like super exciting.
1: And it, yeah. it, it's really nerdy, but it really made a difference for me. Because um, previously if I were to talk like this kind of extended technique contemporary m- music and stuff with some peers they would just give me the look like ah o- okay you know kind of mm. and I, yeah. I know I didn't want to bother them with my this kind of unnecessary information when I, when I was there in Lushen, it was the other way around people were telling me stuff that I didn't know so I was so happy to be there you know yeah that that one was another pivotal moment I mean needless to say yeah, I mean I continued my second year of masters. It went quite smoothly, but we might have to we might have to talk about one of the events. <laughs> yeah, sure. I I did several auditions in UK. A lot of it didn't go so well. Some of it went mm-hmm. okay, but not good enough. So I could not find anything substantial like, full-time work. I did get some freelance work here and there, but of course, that's not enough to survive the cost of living in UK, as you might know. For sure. Yeah. So, I started looking online for other auditions and at that point of time, Singapore Symphony did not have any openings for French horns, so I started looking near, near home. So, mm. China had a lot of openings, but um, that was not my first first choice. It was definitely on my list. It just wasn't the prime prime priority. So I looked around Southeast Asia just to see what, what there was. And lo and behold, there was this new orchestra that opened up like end of 2017. And I was looking in early 2018. And people told me, why don't you try out for this new orchestra in Vietnam? Then in my mind, as with most Singaporeans might think, Vietnam? What is there in Vietnam? So I, <laughs> I just... I I I almost cursed, but <laughs> I was gonna say uh, do it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> try. It's, it's really just 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 go for it, you know. Just try. Like what's what um what harm could it do, you know?
0: Yeah, what's there to lose, right? And what's there
1: to lose exactly? So yeah. I just gave it a go. I sent in a really good tape. I was so proud of it, that tape. And mm. that was like after numerous bad auditions that happened live in UK. So yeah. I was quite down on morale, but I mm-hmm. came up with this tape and I was so proud of it. I, I actually, I mean, you may you may understand, like it's hard to to be really, truly proud of an audition tape because there's definitely some imperfections, definitely some mishaps that happened. But that one was one yeah. that I was really proud of. And I sent it in with no expectations. And one month later, they told me I got a job. So I was cool. obviously over the moon and yeah. I didn't know what to expect. But I knew that once I graduated from London, I was moving to Vietnam.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. It's very nice, isn't it? When you, you get to uh, know that life after graduation, there is a destination for you, life after graduation. Yeah. And you're not sort of like floating around in uncertainty. Correct. There's no floating anxiety of
1: being an unemployed postgraduate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And which, which is you know, happens more often than not yes. as a music student, you know. Yes. Not that there's anything to be ashamed of because it's such a, a difficult and competitive industry, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And now, we'll just move on to the next topic. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you've, you've mentioned about this incident that happened during your second year. So, I've heard about this, mm-hmm. but of course, I never spoke to you about it. I didn't know, you know, this could, this is very a very personal issue, right? I, at least for me. Yeah. I think yeah so uh, I've heard that there was a little bit of a chops issue towards the end of your master program in at Royal College of Music. Yes. And I just wanted to find out more from you what exactly happened and how do you think it happened? And now that you mentioned that you've done a couple of auditions that you felt didn't quite go the way you wanted, did that have anything to do with what happened?
1: Well, uh first of all, no, those were not linked because the, the bad auditions and the Sun Symphony audition were much earlier. Those were like February, March, April, mm, okay. whereas the, the chops issue happened near the recital, which was in June, July. So completely unrelated.
0: Yeah. I see. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I'm totally fine to talk about it because I mean, number one, it's been so many years since, uh, well, it's two years. But that's long enough for me and I'm really comfortable and I think it's a conversation that needs to happen much more often because I think too many a times brass players get so icky about talking about each other's ambusher, and like when something happens then they're also secretive and it's like, What happened? No, it's too mm. too to talk about. Oh uh, no, I, yeah. don't, I don't think <laughs> that I think it's like it's just something Oh, uh, you hurt your arm, you broke your arm, oh um get well soon, you know? Yeah so yeah i'm um, I'm okay to talk about it, so basically, what happened is I woke up one day and my lips were i they were just swollen, but swollen to the point where i i've uh, they were swollen, but they weren't over swollen, like I've had a mm. kind of swelling before just from overplaying, but so I didn't think any different of it until I started my first note or tried to start the first note because there was no first note. <laughs> um, okay. It was just a panic moment. Like, I I, I did my usual warm-up, as in, no, no, I didn't even get to the warm-up. I set up the horn, I did a little bit of breathing, and then I tried to buzz, and I tried to, like, make my first note on the horn, and I couldn't. Like, I just couldn't. Like, the lip just couldn't hold, and it was literally like, oh, I forgot. There's no visual. Mm. But it was like
0: yeah. quivering, quivering of lips. It was like... <laughs> okay. But could, could you feel that quiver or was it just kind of happening and you had no idea that it was, it was doing that?
1: I don't remember, but it's a bit 50-50. I remember it was enough for me to feel it, but I wasn't okay. like so aware, hyper aware of it until I started analyzing like in a mirror. I see. Okay. So also there was like at the bottom part of my lower lip where the mouthpiece sets there was like a dark patch. So that dark patch, um, in conclusion, it was like a bruise. It was almost like a bruise. I see. Yeah, so any pressure on that was also painful. So it was like two problems combined together. The lip just could not keep together and buzz and produce a note. And where I set my mouthpiece hurt to even
0: put the mouthpiece. Mm, like l- legit pain it was like, like you got a bruise on your arm and you press on it, that kind Literally. of thing. Literally, and it's, we're not talking about
1: you pressing your thumb on a bruise, you know. We're talking about a mouthpiece, which is like 4mm in diameter. And I didn't take physics, mm. in, even if I did, I would have failed. But <laughs> what I know is smaller surface area equals to higher pressure. So yeah, that really was not fun. And I was just panicking. And I had a lesson in like a few hours. So mm. first thing I did was to call that professor, call him and tell him I literally was on the verge of breaking down like I would not forget that day. I was on the phone and I was quivering I was like like i i I can't come in today for unless I just can't play, and he's like, "No take it easy, I like breathe, take it easy, and you know it's that kind of like um panic I mean you know when when the one thing you thought you could do good is taken away from you, definitely it's yeah it's a panic it's more than a panic panic an understatement it's like a like the whole world just collapses you know i was feeling all of that in the first 15 minutes and it was just pure panic because i've had bad days on the horn where like the first note was fluffy the first note was like a bit broken and like it took mm. like a longer time to warm up and get into the the rhythm of things but this one was completely different Mm, okay. So, yeah, so that's basically what happened. And if we are going to talk about how it happened, in hindsight, I have a very clear picture. Mm-hmm. Clo- getting closer to my recital date, that was my original date for my recital. I can't remember. It was like 28 or 29 June. Basically, it was like late June. Okay. And the entire month of June was probably the busiest I've ever been in my life. Busy in terms of like horn playing. Like, it just so happened that I got gigs, almost like an overflow of gigs in June. And because, I mean, it's the kind of gigs that you can't say no to, you know?
0: Yeah. Professional engagements. Yes. And it's
1: like with really good orchestra. So I was not going to say no. I was not going to turn them down just because I, I was busy, you know? I was going to make time for it. So I ended up doing like a couple of. um. You know, like those within the nation tours that some UK orchestras do.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, like sometimes going out to the south and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah?
1: it was with Philharmonia Orchestra, and it was like two sets, I think, two sets or three sets of like two to three days. So that was that was one of the best freelance experiences of my life. I mean, mm. because it's with Philharmonia. So, and then other than that, in in June, I had like. I had a couple of module performances. Like I was doing this um module called Contemporary Music in Action. So I had to play three composers' works within a span of two days and practicing for it just the rehearsals. Bottom line is I was really, really overworked. And on top of that, I was also going to be premiering Bertram's piece for my recital. Oh yeah. In nap, is it? Yes, correct. Oh you know. Yeah. That one's like a monster of a piece. It was 90% extended technique. Yeah. So, I really, really enjoyed working on that piece. But I think coupling it with like heavy orchestral performances back-to-back, heavy modular performances back-to-back, very intense rehearsals for my recital because I was doing this piece by Benjamin Britten, like Serenade for Horn, Tenor, and Strings, slash Piano Company. Mm. And... That one really needed a lot of time. I was playing for the tennis recital as well, and then there was Bertram's piece, and just so much basically the the simple reason in one word was overplaying
0: mm,
1: okay, I was just overplaying overworking my lips till it's literal death so yeah that that in hindsight there's no question. I literally overplayed, and my lips just gave way fatigue, whether you call it mus muscle dystonia or whatever. I don't really know what those words are, but yeah, I started to go into like this spiral as you, I mean, as one would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Mentally, it was one of the toughest moments.
0: Mm. I want to say this again. I do appreciate you uh, coming forward and sharing this with all the listeners. And I think this is a really, really good sort of case study. And I'm super glad that you've recovered and you are Back to your usual playing level, if not better. And we'll get into the recovery process a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, of course, I'm not suggesting anything, but at any point, did you feel that during that time where you were super busy, did you feel that you were sort of formidable and untouchable that this would not happen to you? Hmm. When you took on so many things, was it the mindset of just like sure, why can't I do this? Of course now on hindsight when you think about it it's like oh I have took on a little bit too much but at that point of time did you actually feel that or was it just kind of like sure let's let's do this because it's exciting I'm interested in it and all that kind of stuff
1: Okay um well for starters I I don't think I've ever like seen myself as formidable in that aspect because as I I've, I've talked with a lot of horn players before and people know how i feel about like my own endurance like there's people out there with steel chops and people with like you know they can play non-stop and their face is like oh yeah let's go on let's continue you know i'm not that kind of player you know i mean my strengths lie elsewhere but endurance is not one or at least that's how i see it and during that period i definitely did not think that i was like handling it you know like perfectly like oh no this is this is totally up my alley i can just like work like a machine not once did i think mm. that uh, if anything i was thinking like there was this looming feeling at the back of my head like i'm overdoing it like the back of my head, mm. I knew it but the front of like the front of if that makes sense the front of my head did not want to yeah. accept it because i was like to me i was living the dream yes i'm doing i'm i'm graduating i'm doing my master's recital I don't need to worry because... I mean, I don't need to worry so much about post-graduation because I I was going to start work immediately. So I was just doing all I could. It was like the last month in UK, you know? The last month in mm. London. I need, so not once did I feel like I could do it, but I definitely felt like I had to.
0: Mm, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So over overworking is really like the culprit. And now... Let's talk about your recovery. So, this is also, I, in, in many ways, uh, much more important than the diagnosis of uh, what actually happened. Yeah. So, like you said, if you had a bad day, if your first note is not good or you feel like, oh, today, the, the chops are not not working or not super responsive, even for me, it puts me off sometimes. Mm. It's just like, ah, oh. and it, it kind of affects your mood. And I can't imagine if it's like, man, I feel pain, I can't produce a sound and what am I going to do now, right? Yeah. Obviously, the, the sensible thing is to focus on recovery, but of course, I can imagine that this path to recovery is extremely difficult and requires so much of your self-control, right? Yes.
1: Well, the, my memory is a little bit fady of what exactly happened like during the recovery stage, but I'll, I'll do my best to recall. So mm. I remember the first thing I did was to postpone my recital. Mm-hmm. So once I got that out of the way, my mental could take a break and like not worry that my recital was supposed to be in four days. Four days. Yeah,
0: it could be four or five. But it was really, really, really close. Wow. Okay. Well, I thought it was like maybe a couple of weeks before your your recital. I didn't. I didn't know it's four days. Yeah. I mean, I'll take back the four days, but I think it's like three to five
1: days before recital. And then, um, so the first thing I did was to. Once I, I got that panic call with my teacher and he said, just take it easy today. We'll see what happens tomorrow. And then tomorrow was the same thing. And then I called him again. I was like, I can't do the recital in on XX day. Then we, we talked about postponing it and RCM is good that way. They, they were very understanding. They, they've seen this kind of thing happen before. So they knew what to do. And I didn't have to like forego any credit or, or whatever, you know. They, mm. they postponed my date. And that's when I, I put a public Facebook post. Like, of course, I didn't explain what happened, but I just said, "I'm sorry, everyone. My recital is cancelled, <laughs> postponed, and it's going to be on
0: this date." And it was literally yeah. the last day of school. Okay, so it was it was postponed to the last day of school, or your recital was supposed to be on the last day. Oh, it got postponed to the last day of school. So, it, okay, which was two weeks. If I remember
1: correctly, it was two weeks after the latest possible because. They could postpone it later, but I think they explained that if they do the recital, a postponed recital out of school hours, it's going to be harder to get the jury because the guest jury are only in town or during the recital period. After the last day of recitals, they go back to their city and it costs more to bring them back and da-da-da-da. So last day it was going to be. So I, I had to sit down and plan the next two weeks So when you can't play your instrument and you already like blocked out the entire period for only playing your instrument, you're just left with nothing to do. And when you have nothing to do and you know you have a recital looming, coming closer, it's the worst feeling. It's like... Yeah, vicious cycle, isn't it? It just kind of feeds on each other. Imagine you're training for a a 42km marathon and
0: you're doing nothing but sitting on the couch watching TV... And because you physically can't run, right? That's the problem. It's not by choice. It's like you physically can't go and train. That is the, the pain, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good analogy, the marathon. So
1: yeah, that's how I felt. And I think I really have to attribute some of the some of the emotional support to some of my closest friends back then. Like, I don't know if you know, do you know Donald? Uh yes, pianist. Yeah. So Donald and another friend called Pei, she's also Singaporean, violinist. They were, like, the two pillars of support during those two weeks. Like, they really, really, really helped me through it. Like, I will never forget what they did. Like, they'll follow me out Mm. to dinner. They'll follow me for lunch. They'll keep me company, even though they had to be practicing their own recitals, you know. Yeah. I couldn't listen to people practicing because if I did, you know, I'll be like, why am I not practicing? So, it was basically, the recovery period mentally was more difficult because... The physical recovery, I couldn't do anything. I could only research on internet. I remember I read so many articles on muscle dystrophy. Yeah. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Muscle dystrophy Mm. or dystonia is basically where the muscle forgets how to work. Yes. So I thought I was going through that. I started to read the
0: symptoms and like, if there's any cure and it's really like a spiral
1: of panic and
0: emotional. And sometimes, sometimes they tell you the recovery process is yes, isn't it? And then that's... There's not what you want to hear. No. You've got a job waiting for you and all that kind of stuff.
1: You totally got it. So, I talked to all my professors and explained like what's happening and then the conclusion was literally don't do anything. Like I, I just needed to let my lips recover on its own because any more agitation would delay the recovery and I have to admit, the first two three days, obviously, I was doing everything I could, like ice my lips for five hours straight until it was like I couldn't even talk. <laughs> you know that like <laughs> okay. panic, panic yeah. things like that, and then yeah, oh, you you try anything, right? Yes, I was like lip balm like every hour. Oh God, I I don't recommend that, you know. Mm, I, just yeah. like da- I just look like a picking. I just look like that. Angelina Jolie, basically. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, was it just mostly rest and letting time do its thing, heal up and all that kind of stuff? It wasn't mostly, it was entirely. Okay, and how long did that take you? So,
1: this is another fun part. (laughs) So, how do you know when you're ready? Like, how do you know when it's like, is it after five days? After six days? After one and a half days? Then you try again? How would I know? So, I took a gamble. I really, really took a gamble. I did a 10 to 11 day break. hmm so I didn't, I packed the horn. I put it like in a in a corner in my little dorm room that is not easily seen, you know? And yeah. I lived the life of a... <laughs> um, Tourist. Almost, you know, it's almost. Because that two weeks, I, I went out as much as I could. Mm. I literally did everything that I haven't done in London. I went to parks. I went to like flower flower fields and all that stuff that I regretted not going earlier and it was amazing for my emotional wellness well-being mm. so I did those sometimes my friends would accompany sometimes I would go alone because at that point I already knew my recital pieces almost by heart. Not 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 Bertram's piece, that one's impossible to know by heart. <laughs> but the, <laughs> yeah. the other two words the, the Britain serenade and botza botza's suelessim So, I already knew the pieces by heart. So, I I couldn't. People would tell me, why don't you do some mental practice? I'm like, I'm done. Like, if I overcook the piece, like, you know.
0: Yeah, but like, you don't even want to look at music, do you? Because it just like hurts. Yeah. Because uh, it hurts mentally, not physically, of course, that I can't play. Like, you know, I just don't want to do anything that's related to music for couple of days exactly following yeah. our analogy is like looking
1: at a map of the marathon but you can't run the marathon
0: <laughs> yeah like so why, why don't you study the
1: route it's just like what's there to study but now that i talk about mental practice the one thing that i did is i did go to bed reading bertram's score back to back and that one mm. was still very okay for for my mental state because mm. that one was like you can never over study Yeah, you're discovering new things. Exactly. So I practiced Bertram's piece without the horn. I literally stood in front of the score and I sang the piece. And I would you would think I need to go to like the mental hospital or something. You heard me sing his piece without the horn because that's what sorry Bertram if you're listening to this, but he knows. Well, it's either him or you, right? <laughs> Someone's got to go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really so I was doing like like I was just singing out the piece, and it was really a lot of like just double-tonguing and practicing the the air sounds like you know, all that all that kind of stuff. Mm. You don't need the horn for that, you know? So that's yeah. the that's the closest and possibly the only thing I did to practicing. So mm. back to the 10-day gamble. I after seven days, I considered. I was like, eighth day, like one week before recital, should I try? And just feeling it, just feeling the lips. I, I would gently tap that bruised area every day when people tell me I shouldn't, just to feel like what it felt like every day. Is, was it getting better? And after seven days, it actually did not hurt anymore. Okay. But on the eighth, ninth, tenth day, I still refused to play. I was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. If I'm going to play now, it's just going to be like a backfire. Like, I just knew it was going to happen. So I took the extra three days because my lips were, of course, they were not swollen, but my lips were entirely a different pair of lips. I've never taken a break that long before. Mm. Ten days, you know? Okay. So my lips felt like an entirely new being by itself, right? Yeah. It was weird. It was not fresh in a good way. It was fresh in the, did I just do a lip exchange, you know? That kind of worry.
0: It just feels very detached from your
1: entire body. Yes. Isn't it? So the mental aspect was like, do I still remember how to play the horn? Da 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 da. Yeah. Um but I, I took the gamble and it was so, so, so worth it. Because lo and behold, on the eleventh day or twelfth day, I can't remember the exact number, um I went for it. Mm-hmm. I picked up the horn and I said a few like quiet words to myself, like regardless of the of what happens, you'll make it, you know, like a very like, self-pep talk, because it was so dramatic, it was a very dramatic moment, you know, or maybe I just over-dramatized. But there, there is a lot of mental stress in there, because what if it doesn't work? Exactly, you get me? So, lucky and praise all the umbershire gods and everything, I play. I tried to play my first note after doing a little bit of like, light buzzing, and it came out, just like how it was supposed to. mm just naturally, like, cycling. you just It just came back. And I, I started crying. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, it was so... I mean... It's a very emotional moment, isn't it? It's
1: very overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. Because I think it's very triggering because, like, my whole life, music and specifically horn playing was the only thing that I could value my, my self-worth on. It was very... I mean, that's an entirely different story, but... When the one thing that you pride yourself in doing well, the only thing that you think you can do well in life is taken away from you, you literally lose all purpose in life.
0: Yeah, there's such a huge void.
1: Exactly. Like, do I need a career change? Do I need to do something else? Like, what was I going to do? Um, It was such a mental breakdown for me. And... Mm now that it's like 2 years it's actually exactly 2 years because now we're in the first part of july already yeah so mm, yeah that's true 2 years f- from i can only say that 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 experience only made me stronger and it made me smarter in in terms of you know overplaying overworking being more careful about how i treat my chops and proud to say that i've never had an experience
0: like that ever since Cool. And may you never, may you never. I,
1: I never, I hope ne- no one else has to experience what I experienced. I mean, yes, as brass players and maybe especially horn players, we're going to have a lot of like bad days, off days. Those are inevitable and we just need mm. to learn how to deal with them better and yeah. develop a routine that can get over that kind of hurdle. That That's very mm. normal. You can't evade that. But that, that two weeks, that was a very... Tormenting, traumatic two weeks that I hope no one ever has to experience. But if anyone else experiences it, anyone who's listening, please know that I'm like very approachable and you can talk to me about if you're going through that or had mm. or have gone through that and still traumatized by it or whatever.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't say I can relate 100% to what you are saying because I've never had uh, an issue like that. But Definitely, if any one of you listening have had chops issue or is having chops issue and feel like uh, you need uh, someone to speak to, I think Alex is really the best person that you can find. He's got, yeah, this, he's got a recovery process, he's been through, he understands and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's more of the mental. Like, I think the mental part is where I needed a lot of help and I think that one was harder mm. to find mental support.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I had a Thai friend, a batch mate of mine, mm-hmm. when uh, he he was in the same way as me uh, at the Northern. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, a pretty bad case of uh, focal dystonia. Oh, no. And it, yeah, it happened really suddenly. So what happened was we were back, uh, just before term started, we were back in Manchester and he literally lost an octave every day. Oh. And yeah, it was like, on, on day one, he could play like normal. Mm-hmm. On day two, he, he just lost one octave. That entire octave is gone. The upper octave. Yeah. And then the second day, another octave is gone. So now, say from three octaves, you're left with one. And then on the fourth day, when he came and spoke to me, it was barely even three notes, you know. And me, like, looking at that, I'm like, what is going on? Like it shocked me, and it like like i said i I can't relate, I don't know how it feels, but I can definitely tell that it's extremely unpleasant and unnerving and super duper challenging for anyone that is facing this problem and unfortunately, I think he didn't uh receive uh the best advice, so um eventually after uh one semester. He had to no, actually he stayed throughout the year and then he had to pack it in. Recently he started playing again and I I watched some of his Facebook video and this has been a good four years, you know? And he's only started playing now, and it's only starting to get better now. So uh, I'm super, super, duper glad for you that everything just it was basically more of a bruise than a literally like nerve problem, which could be a lot trickier. So, yeah, super glad for you. Super glad you recovered. And, yeah, and I, like I said, may you never have to deal with CHOP's problems again. And I don't think you will. Yeah, you you understand your, uh, yourself so much better. Yeah. Cool. And t- tell you what, Alex, mm-hmm. time absolutely flew by. I know we've got more questions lined up, but we're going to have to wrap up here. And I think... This calls for a part two at some point for sure.
1: Sure, sure, no problem.
0: Yeah, and hey, thank you so much for being so cool and uh talking about all these kind of very very difficult and personal problems, which you know uh not many people would like to talk about, and show the kind of uh, vulnerable side of themselves. Uh, thank you again uh for doing this
1: it was it was my absolute pleasure like really thank you very much for having me on on this because i was listening to previous episodes and i was like ah oh, this is such a nice initiative by you so when you sent me the invite i was really really very happy
0: yeah absolute pleasure i think everyone has got a story to tell isn't it you yeah. yeah look i think a lot of our um maybe students or the third party looking for outside uh things that this career is all kind of glamorous and easy and, you know, you've got jobs and stuff like that. But, you know, it's not that straightforward all the time, isn't it? Non-essential. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's a, a whole other kind of worms, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah cool so uh, thank you once again and for all of you listening if you fancy having a good laugh and some interesting videos every now and then please head over to Alex's uh, Facebook page which is uh, facebook.com slash uh, xxn or follow him on Instagram uh, his handle is uh alexxxnder, and like I said Instagram handle is basically an additional Alex in front of his uh, Facebook uh, link. So, all these links, if it's too difficult to remember, no worries. Links will be provided in the website uh, when the episode is launched. And once again, thank you so much, Alex. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play Awards. Until next time. (laughs)